Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me, I have my man, of course, in the place to be, my boy J.O., of course, here, kicking it with us here again on the Vault Classic Music Reviews. As always, Jay's been a man. It's been a hectic summer, but you know, I know everybody's handling their business out there, man, but glad to have you back on here, you know, especially what we're talking back, about man. today. Indeed, especially what we're talking about today, man. It's been a wild, wild summer. And just to remind everybody, I still have bonus content coming right before the end of the summertime just to give y'all something heading into fall. So make sure y'all keep tuning in. Shout out to all the listeners stateside and worldwide who continue to support the show. Guys, we love the feedback we're getting from y'all on social media, especially on the YouTube pages and on the Twitter feed. Continue to support us. Continue to tell a friend and continue to get the word out there about the show, man. We can we always praise y'all for all the support that you continue to give us. As we always say here on the vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics of MBTC. And Jay, we're going to go back 30 years ago. And we're going to go back to a bit of a unique group and also their debut. Now, <laughs> if I were to give you the this question and you were to tell me as to who was really the first gra- group or person to come out to really talk about this weed culture when it came to hip hop. And a lot of y'all would probably come out and say Dr. Dre is Snoop Dogg. And you'd be wrong. <laughs> because before they actually made it a really, really big thing on the larger mainstream stage and hip hop, there was another group also from the West Coast that made it cool somewhat and also made it a big part of their act, which made the, which also helped popularize them, not just with the hip hop crowd on the West Coast, but all over the country and eventually all over the world. And it brought them successes. Their unique style brought them successes throughout that 90s into the 2000s and even now where they're 30 years later they're still making music so we're going to go back jay to august 13th 1991 and to none other than cypress hill and the debut studio album named cypress hill on rough house and columbia records recorded between 1990 and 91 one time of 46 minutes and 54 seconds the producer on this who else but dj mugs <laughs> the producer of Cypress Hill. Of course, Cypress Hill also made up of the two MCs, the incomparable. Of course, when we talk about him and his voice, another unique voice in hip hop, B Rail, and then also Send Dog. Muggs produced all the tracks on this, the uh, 16 tracks, singles from this album. The Funky Feel one with the B side of How I Could Just Kill a Man, which became a really, really big hit. In 1991, someone reminded me when I read an article as well that I forgot that that song was actually also in the movie Juice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, that scene. <laughs> yeah, that scene, exactly. Yes, yeah, a classic, classic scene from a classic movie. The second single, Hand on the Pump, with a B side of Real Estate, to me, an underrated song. We'll get to that in just a, a little bit. 
the third single pigs and then the last single latin lingo obviously cypress hill one of the biggest hispanic and um latin groups in hip-hop a very unique group cypress hill is where a lot of folks again will give that credit a lot of the West Coast credit as far as when it comes to that sort of marijuana and weed culture it goes to like, you know, the Dr. Dre's and the Snoop Dogs. And there were people who talked about like weed in their songs before this. But Cypress Hill really did make it, you know, were like the first group to really come out and openly talk about using weed openly on their songs, you know, even before Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And um, it really helped to get them a lot of play on some college radio stations and then uh, really made them a big, big hit, not just among hip-hop groups, but then they became a big crossover hit because their sort of subculture that they pushed helped to make them big amongst audiences like a lot of white and suburban audiences as well. Right, right. Like, yeah, I just thought about it too. Like, you know what I'm saying? As far as like that whole thing with, um, you know, pushing like them and saying the marijuana cultures. I think you you're pretty much familiar with like, you know, who's on Mount Cushmore, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, <laughs> like um, you know what I'm saying? It's be real, snoop, red and mouth. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's funny because like, you know, so I remember Jane, it was an interview with like with the four of them and it was like if they had to rate who does who's the biggest stone out of the four of them, they was they all said be real. Be real. Yeah. I yep, <laughs> I could definitely see that though. I definitely yeah, can. I mean, that, that took me by surprise because I mean I ain't gonna lie, I thought like they would have said Snoop because I mean he was the one that really pushed to the forefront, but then kind of going back at that time and listening to like you know some of their earlier records and everything like that and just really like listening to some more Cypress Hill okay yeah and then it kind of makes sense why it would be be real I mean mm-hmm. among other drugs they might have done at that time but right. yeah as far as weed like yeah yeah nah definitely Mount Cushmore absolutely yeah and and so and then you think about like man well uh, and we'll get into this in just a second but I didn't know until like this week I started digging back into their catalog and essentially when I was listening to this joint is that how influential they were on a lot mm. of different rappers that came even a little bit right after they did. But then those who also came out later on in the nineties, like I, I sort of lost the track about how big and influential they were to a lot of rappers and groups that came out after them. Also a lot of Latin groups and Spanish groups that came out, you know, like funk dubious, you know what I'm saying? That they kind of mm. paved the way for even Terror Squad and Pun and Beat Nuts and people like that, that, you know what I'm saying, that sort of rode that same wave, you know what I'm saying, those Hispanic groups of hip-hop and Hispanic uh, folks, you know, especially those folks in New York and Dominicans and Puerto Ricans been a big part of the start of hip-hop, but this, yeah, they no, kind of... like um, Chino XL. And yeah, Chino so. XL, exactly, you know what I'm saying? So they really kind of helped to pave the way sort of in that respect because they were the first, you know, Hispanic hip-hop group that really, you know, got some huge mainstream success with uh, with what they were doing. So we're just going to go back, man, Jay, and tell me a little bit about this album um, and Cypress Hill in general and what you thought about it, and then listening to this album, what you thought listening to it coming up, leading up to this week. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, like, you know what I'm saying, to keep it a buck, like, I didn't I didn't hear this, like, when it first came out. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like me going back. I mean, I do remember some of the cuts off the album, but like, it wasn't something I was, like, running out to purchase at 10 years old. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was more, like, on Ice Cube and, like, NWA at that time. But, mm-hmm. yeah, going back and listening to it now, I mean, you know, some of the some of the tracks do sound kind of dated. I mean, it was like between recorded between ninety and ninety one. So, mm-hmm. but then like listening to like you know the whole aspect as far as like that weed culture they really pushed on the album. It's like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see like a picture like you know what I'm saying somebody like rolling up a little something and getting stoned and listening to like certain jams off of it. I can see how it would fit for that 
time knowing how to, knowing what the landscape of the music was back then. So mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like um it's kinda kinda like it sounded dated, but like, you know, if you were if you were around during that time, I mean, you could understand like the beat choices and things like that to really like put yourself in that mind frame of like, you know, uh mm-hmm. teenager back then or young adult back then, you know what I'm saying? That was listening to them or just like you know what I'm saying smoking, getting stoned, like you know, yeah. Delta Nine days, not Delta Eight. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. Now I I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. It, it's sort of the same thing for me. Like the first Cypress Hill albums that I was into was really was more so was Black Sunday, um, right. and then afterwards Temples of Boom were the ones that I was listening to because those are the ones that really got me into Cypress Hill. I didn't really get into this until after I started digging. Like some of I, a lot of these artists that we recovered on this podcast, I heard about them on some of the artists' later albums and then went back into the catalog and listened to them. Um, this one in particular, what I was struck by, first of all, and I'm sure you can relate to this, but definitely is the production. Um, yeah. And we all know Mugs. I Just to speak, First of all, on Mugs as a producer, I kind of feel like when we talk about the best producers of all time and those who have, whether it's by the quality of their beats, um, the ingenuity of the tools and the tricks that they use to the influence that they have. I don't think that we talk about Mugs enough as far as like his influence, as far as like the quality of his beats and the type of people that he's produced for. I mean, beyond just Cypress Hill, you talk about the right. other ones, House of Pain, people that he's, he's done stuff for RZA. Um, you know, he's collaborated with RZA on some things. So, but I think to me, man, Muggs and his work, it is almost like when you think about the production of that time, and I was reading this in an article and it clicked in my head, like a light bulb being switched on. Uh, when you think about during this particular time, I thought a lot about how like the Bomb Squad's production was, the work that they did not only on Fear of a Black Planet, but then also on Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted. And then also listening to earlier this year, the work that was done on NWA's Niggas for Life or Ethel for Zagging, you know, that what Dre's work on there was almost sort of like it had taken a step up from what they had done on Straight Outta Compton because he had learned sort of from what he heard from on America's Most Wanted, the fear of black planet where you talk about that sonic wall of sound, like the layering of samples upon samples upon samples where all the individual things are taken from different samples and cuts from records that they dig for. And I feel like mugs did a lot of that here as well. Like you could just hear like, Oh, this is something from that. This kick is from somewhere. This snares from somewhere. These hats are from this that vocal sample is from this and that, oh, this baseline is from, he's always been really great at that. And then another thing that Muggs has been great at doing, he's also been great at adapting, even with Cypress Hill sound themselves. But beyond just the production, you sort of get into Send Dog and the B-Rail. And, you know, like you said, the weed subculture, everything's there. The one thing that I do have to say about Cypress Hill is that it kind of feels like, wow, the music sounds kind of hard and some of the stuff and the subject material can be dark, but it's also, it's kind of lighthearted at the same time because it feels like, you know, while things were sort of about somewhat about some bad times and about gangster stuff, it was also lighthearted too. Like I remember reading something with be real. And he said that, you know, other than like with NWA where, you know, it was all about, you know, hardcore and gangster shit. Like we be likely to run up on you, pull the gun out on you, but then laugh at you and shit and then make jokes about pulling the trigger on you, you know? 
that's sort of like what the music sounded like. It feels sort of like, you know, I'm just fucking with you, man. Like, go ahead. I ain't going to shoot you, man. Get the fuck out of here type of music. So I've always kind of felt that way about their music. So beyond just even the weed stuff, which the weed subculture stuff really has and pushes across boundaries and can really, you know, can reach beyond just the hip hop audience. Cause shoot, I remember going back to, I think it might've been one of the smoking grows tours and, you know, when they came out, when Cypress Hill came out, it was like you could always smell weed at those concerts. But when they came out, you could smell it. Like, I mean, you could like almost everybody was saving their blunts from when they came out, you know, so <laughs> and it was full to the brim with white people, by the way. I mean, that audience oh, was like 70 percent white people. So and they were consumers. So. Yeah, exactly. The hip hop consumers. <laughs> absolutely. But this album, man, it just um. What what I felt the you know the best about it was that to me, in retrospect, by going through their catalog, going back to the beginning of when they started, it was just like okay, so this is the foundation of where everything lay at, and then it kind of the, the rest of their catalog kind of makes sense once you start here because then it's like you can sort of see where they built on with Black Sunday, you can see where they built on into Temples of Boom and um and into their later albums. But you never really saw them stray too much away from that because why? It worked. I mean, what they did, I mean, they're one of the few groups in hip-hop that actually had two albums within the top 10 of the Billboard 200. They're one of the few groups actually as well to have multiple albums go multi-platinum. So it's <laughs> you got to give them credit for that. They know their their formula and they and they stick to it. And it works. It works. Those are really my thoughts on the album. Production-wise, I was really impressed. But from a uh, concept-wise, when it came to the songs, like listening to some of the stuff on, um, listening to songs like Hand on the Pump and hearing that familiar refrain from that hook, which is exactly what Red and Meth took and used right. on Rottweiler, it was like... <laughs> clever oh yeah that's what they got yeah exactly (laughs) clever same thing with the funky feel one i hear that and it's like when i'm listening to that i can sort of sit there and i'm saying in my head to you know method is it real son is it really real son if you know it's real son let me know what's real it's like okay i could like you could see their influence man when you go later on a rap you can see some stuff from cypress hill where they definitely influence some people along the way i even heard some things probably a couple of lines that i think that biggie reworked in some of his rhymes too as well and, and, and ready to die so all the props in the world man so now we're gonna get into highlights so jay just give me your highlights man on cypress hill let me know his highlights any low lights and anything else that you want to add yeah for sure so like i mean highlights for me would be um hand on the pump Mm-hmm. Latin lingo, stone is the way to walk, um, yeah. hole in the head, and of course, killer man. So, like, those, yeah, those would be my highlights off there. I mean, now in terms of low lights, I really, I don't really want to classify it as like low lights because again, I got, I got a, it was like I had to constantly remind myself, like, you know, these beats are kind of dated. This was like ninety ninety one when this dropped or recorded rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, but like the ones I called out as highlights those are the ones to me that kind of like stand the test of time like mm-hmm. you know i could still see people see people belly banging those today so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah true honestly to me i think i kind of taking the the time frame into into consideration when i'm looking at and trying to judge these songs it um it kind of helped me to sort of get through it um and understanding that knowing like what the formula mugs was trying to do with the uh with the beats that he was making but 
you know, as far as my highlights are concerned, um, of course, how I could just kill a man. I mean, that's just, you know, that's going to be on the short list of like the five to seven songs you pick up that you want to put on a sampler that tells people this is Cypress Hills music. That's one of them. <laughs> I mean, that's up there sure. with, you know, with uh, Insane in the Brain and, and, you know, Light It Up and everything else. Hand on the Pump, obviously, the Funky Feel one. Um, real Estate for me on this one. Um, love the beat. Also love the uh, subject matter, but this is a, a definitely a highlight for me. It's like one of those things when you first listen to the album, it's a it's an album, it's a track that you you sort of like you skip over. Like, well, to me, it's like that beam says, like, you know, I'm that track that you used to skip over that you just found out was fire. That was to like real estate to me. That's what really what oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. So um Stone is the way way of the walk. Yeah, I gotta get get with you there as well on Latin lingo and of course the funky Cypress Hill shit. And then really like that Trace Eckes thing to me, which, you know, um, is a short track, but I love the beat on that as well. They actually took that track, Trace Eckes, by the way, and used it to make a graphic novel in conjunction of the release of this album. So Cypress Hill's having a graphic op- novel and the title of it is actually made. It's going to be Trace Eckes. So, <laughs> and for those of y'all who are not <laughs> sure what that means, if you drink the beer and if you're familiar with Spanish, it's three X's <laughs> and the subject matter of three X's is send dog talking about him banging a joint out. You know what I mean? So that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, as far as any low lights, I don't really have any like big, big low lights. I think for you, the, the low light, if it had to be for me was that, yes, I mean, some of this stuff does sound a little dated in particular, the, the beats sound a little dated, but if anything about the beats, what does sound dated is maybe the samples themselves. But then it's like, you know, yeah. I think that the effect, mostly what you get through like the the processing and the side effects of making it sound a little bit dustier to give it a little bit more of that grittier, grittier sound. This is like sort of gets that effect that like, you know, you're not picking this up and thinking it's like, okay, this is from a West Coast artist. You're not picking this up and being like, okay, these guys are like NWA, but then it's not also saying, oh, they're like, you know, pop guys, like Young MC or like Tone Loke. It's like, you know, they kind of put and created a whole new lane for themselves as West Coast artists. And um, if it would be, it would be a low light, it would be something like that, but I love like the the creativity on here, even the skits like Ultraviolet Dreams and Break It Up and Something for the Blunted. I read and I completely agree with something that I this album in my research is that they said what Muggs did on a lot of these intro and interlude tracks is that they created music that obviously it was for smokers, but it. <laughs> made you feel like one okay you knew that they were like high and like sort of like projecting what their what their mind state was when they were high but also mm-hmm. meant to also take you through the journey as if you were high yourself even if you didn't smoke <laughs> so i'm just like okay interesting that's that a producer would do something <laughs> like that because that takes some imagination to be able to crash something and make some someone feel as though you know even though they haven't rolled up and toked up that hey Come along in this journey with us, even though you're not. You know what I mean? So, yeah, ahead. I was going to say, like, um, it just made me think about, like, you know, touching back what you said about the production. Like, you know, I mean, because, of course, like, you know, like, this really, a lot of this came from DJ Muggs. And, like, it's make me think, okay, is this, like, a kind of cross up between, like, East and West? Because, I mean, you know, with Muggs originally being from New York. Yeah, and, from like, Queens, yeah. Producer from them. Yeah, Queens. And, like, producing, like, you know, for, like, 
for like a group like Cypress Hill. I mean, I think he was out, out on the West Coast by that time. I think he moved out there when he was like maybe a teenager. But mm-hmm. no, by that time, you pretty much like have some like East Coast influence as far as your music and, yeah. you know, and then just combining that. I mean, that was, and again, it's like 90, 91. So, you know, West Coast really wasn't defined by that G Funk sound just yet because I don't think Niggas Life had just dropped him or it might have just dropped him really hadn't like defined that landscape as far as that, like, that windy synthesizer sound and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I just think it's another thing to take into consideration with it. Oh, yeah. It definitely, to me, I thought bridged the sort of gap between mm-hmm. them being from the West Coast, where we would learn for most of like the G Funk West Coast sound to be, whether it was Northern or Southern California, like what that sound would come to be within two or three years afterwards. Um, it Ziggo was a bridge. Not only that, but you know, their label, Rough House, was based in Philadelphia as well. When they recorded, right. when they recorded this album, they recorded this album. Um, the majority of it, as I understand, was done in uh, recording studios on the East Coast. It wasn't done in California, you know. And then Mugs having that background, being from New York, and then also studying, you can see the influences of where Mugs was getting his influence from, from you know, Ultramagnetic MCs and from Bomb Squad, get taking that sonic wall of sound because that's really. You know, when the Bomb Squad came out and was layering samples like that, it took a lot of producers. I even mentioned on Main Source Review that I felt like Large Professor did a lot of that as well. It wasn't as in-your-face, like the samples weren't as hard-hitting as what you got with the Mm -hmm. Bomb Squad and what Dre did on Niggas for Life, but I felt like it wasn't as in-your-face. And for me, I feel like Muggs more so took the approach of that in-your-face, like Sonic Wall of Sound, like these snares are going to be hard as hell, this kick is going to kick you right in your chest. You know what I'm saying? These vocal samples are going to be amazing and incredible. Like, oh, where did that Where did that guitar come from? Where is that bass line from? You know, that piano. Where the hell did that piano come from? Like, I think he sort of hit you right in your chest. So I do think it was sort of that crossed over between East and West in regards to what some East, East Coast producers like, um, like the Bomb Squad were doing and then what was sort of like being adopted by other producers after seeing that be so successful on a couple of different albums. Cool. So now we're going to get into notable quotables. Jay, you got one, man, and what you pulled from the uh, from the album? Uh, I don't know if I really have anything in the way of like a notable quotable. Mm-hmm. As much as I was just like, in, like just really into like the flow and everything like that, and of course, B-Real's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then again, I mean, I guess like you could say, well, actually, you know what? Maybe like verse two of... um hole in the head like um mm-hmm. okay <laughs> it was like a barrel a, a barrel pumping system thumping see if, see if i ain't hanging come on baby jump in i stopped the cop here let me tell you something me you Ruka, we should be humping <laughs> honey likes the mac homies got it in the bag but there's vato's rolling out and he's sticking up the flag he jumps out the, with the sag hey where you from homes it's on he sees him. He sees him reaching for his chrome. Buckshot to the dome. Jumps in the brome. Honey's in the back, but she just wants to go home. But he trips to the store. Homeboy needs a forty. White boys at the counter thinking, "Oh lordy, lordy." Mm-hmm. Pushing on the button, panicking for nothing. Pigs on the way. And hey, yo, I smells bacon. Dips out the store. One time hits the corner and he hits the fucking alley like if Holmes was Pop Warner. Still had the forty coming out the alley. Seen the chief son, pig officer O'Malley. Oink. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah man that I keep going with it but like yeah nah i get you mm-hmm. i think the message was i think it was conveyed on that one yeah it was man that song 
uh, that story, you know, everything about, you know, just kind of when you talk about like, you know, those whole things, we think about like West Coast culture in particular about stuff in the hood. You know, you think about like, you know, a lot of the West Coast culture because of the movies and the music that we listen to has always been reflected around, you know, either gang conflict or confrontations or, you know, stuff with sets and neighborhoods and, and everything else. And mm-hmm. and um, and, you know, with the Latin, you know, the, the, the Hispanic gangs and stuff out there, you know, between whether it's uh, La, La Raza or MS-13s or whoever or whatever sets individual neighborhoods and stuff had, like just kind of get that imagery, you know, going to the store for a 40 and, you know, what I'm saying you getting into it with somebody, the cops on your tail and everything, all just kind of really fits into that whole coat, like West Coast culture, what we knew back then. You know what I mean? What we would come to know. My notable quotable actually comes from um, from real estate. As I mentioned, I told you that's one of my sleeper tracks on there that I definitely got into. But, you know, the last track on there is uh, Be Real. And he says, yes, the master pass, kick your ass, and feel combustion for the dope blast. Yet you stepping on my property, get off of a G, get caught up, and then you get shot up. See, violators will get prosecuted by the reputed, undisputed, and site pursued. Not so, so there's no sellout. You ain't got enough ducats to shell out. Well, I'm in front, and yo, I feel great. Check out the story of the glory of the real estate. So, this is, uh, like I said, a, a standout track to me. You know, like, I always try to tell people, you know, with B-Rail, it's somewhat similar to, I guess, to anybody we talk about that has a great voice. Like, we, Jay, we've talked about this. You know, rappers like Chuck D, like the Rockness Monster, even a rapper, even someone like MC Ren, uh, where they have a really, really unique voice. In particular with me, it's never really about the uh, the lyricism. I mean, you're not going to get crazy, crazy bars from Be Real, but what you're going to do is get respectable lyricism. And what you're going to do is really get a flow and um and the voice is going to deliver for for you for you. So with some MCs, you get more so like crazy lyricism, and some of them you got the delivery, and the voice is really going to do it for you. And I think to me that's one of B Real's you know highlights is that that voice and that flow is always going to keep you going. And backed by that mugs production is always what's going to keep you interested in listening. Yeah, I'm definitely with that. And I just I just thought about like you know um it just kind of like took me back like um. I, where I heard like the Booyah tribe get mentioned on that journey, like mm. uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, like I was the only, I think I'm, I'm probably the only person my Asian knows about the Booyah tribe, like because mm. they even shout, shouted a gangster red, like I was just like liked his name, I yeah, didn't know really shit else about him. I just like, yeah, that's a dope name, dope name, yeah. <laughs> and then like, and then I thought about the other connection, you know, what I'm saying is that they basically all bloods too, so right, uh huh, right, <laughs> yeah. So that was like a big thing at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, man. One thing to sort of talk about, you know, before we get into the final verdict um, of this album, a lot of things we talk about with Cypress Hill and uh, why a lot of people respect them so much. I mean, they have they've sold over, you know, 20 million albums worldwide. Um, They're considered a stable in the West Coast hip hop, 90s hip hop in particular. And, you know, they've been big pushers of the weed culture. They're actually big advocates now for medical and recreational use of of cannabis, which I'm 100 percent in favor of. You know, um, they're actually one of the first hip hop groups to receive a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, which is which is another great thing. You know, what I'm saying the only one that I could think about that may have recently just gotten one was N.W.A. And that was right around when the movie came out. They've been around for some time. Be Real, Mugs, Send Dog, uh, Bobo have all kind of like been like, you know, that uh, 
you know, a part of the group. You know, they've been together at a certain point in time. Muggs left, like, probably right around 04, 05, came back around, probably, like, around 15 or so. But Be Real and Send Dog have been there the entire time, though, you know? Um, so you got to love that. And also, I like the thing that I love about Cypress Hill, how versatile they can be, because when they're actually performing live, you see they're performing with a band. That's where Bobo comes in with the dr- percussion and the drums and everything else. Hmm. So that adds another thing to when you can actually perform live and have a band, per, you know, perform with you. You know what I mean? That that definitely adds a different, like, sort of, like, takes your live performance and brings it up to me to another level. It's one thing if you have just your trap playing and then you rapping, but if you can rap and then have a band with you, yeah, I'm with that. Yeah, and, and yeah in case in point, it makes me think about um, on, um when they had a performance with them Saturday Night Live. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, and you know, I'm showing my age here, but it was, it was, it was um for the joint. I ain't going out like that. I, I'm thing that was um Boba at the end that was on them Congos, like just like mm-hmm. killing it. Yeah, and that just like <laughs> course DC drew my attention. Like I'm like, yep. Oh, mm-hmm. is he performed at the Ice Box? Like, wait a minute, yes. like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Is he, is he beat it? Wait, did he just come from the black hole or something? Like, wait a minute, bro. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of killing it over there with that drink. Killing it, man. They always kill their live performances, no matter where they are. I told you about that Smoking Groves tour thing that I went to. They killed that performance. And another great thing, what they do is that, man, they get together, you know, like Be Real uh, went together, I believe it was with um, with uh, Chuck D. And I want to say maybe someone else. I forgot who it was. Oh, so it was um, Rage Against the Machine and um, Chuck D and also Be Real of Cypress Hill. And then DJ Lord as well. And they create that Prophets of Rage. So uh, another thing, the flexibility that they have is that they also cross over for a lot of people who are into like that metal stuff and then rap rock stuff are also really into Cypress Hill as well. So I give them props for being able to blend over into many different audiences. And that's how you stay relevant and also how you stay successful. So, you know, a lot of people will give them criticism for that, but they without a shadow of a doubt will let people know, like, don't get it twisted. We are 100% hip hop. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the verdict, the test of time to see what kind of classic we think it is. Do we think that it's a certified classic, borderline classic, classic just in its time or not a classic at all? So, Jay, what say you about Cypress Hill on the debut album? Uh, this one I have to say borderline classic. Okay. Like, yeah, because it had his bangers on there, but I mean, it didn't like, you know, it didn't like hit the level, like, you know what I'm saying, like Black Sunday or Temple of Boom did. So, mm-hmm. but it, it really like laid the groundwork for them, you know what I'm saying, to put out those um, later projects. True. So I say the impact and influence of this is of certified classic status. When I talk about okay. the quality of this album, though, I'm with you when I say borderline classic as well. I think that they got the definitely the bangers on there. I feel like the production kind of followed um, a somewhat followed a template, but really what mugs did was really take the template and refine it to make it its own. So that's where I definitely give it as props. Um, the way that the style the Cypress Hill had kind of like that it was in your face. You thought it was gangster, but it's not really gangster. It's kind of like a little bit, like they said, I've read like it's sort of cartoonish with the violence that they, they put on there, but they kind of make a, you know, make light of themselves when talking about it. It's like, to me with Cypress Hill, they take themselves seriously, but not too seriously. And that's what I really like about them. Um, and the fact that they've maintained for this long and this album was really what to start with it. So I think impact and influence wise is definitely a certified classic, but I think quality, I'm going to have to say borderline classic. And I would have to give that right now for a borderline classic. I'd have to say a nine out of 10. So, yeah. So there we are, ladies and gentlemen, Cypress Hill, the debut album, self-titled debut album, of course, came out 30 years ago this past week. 
please make sure you go check it out. As a matter of fact, Jay, there has been plenty of news that have come out. They actually are releasing a 30th anniversary issue, a digital vinyl, and also I believe it is a uh, digital and vinyl release with a lot of remixes. And they're also doing a, a digital release where they have, I believe it is an 80 page um, liner notes and photos celebrating the 30th anniversary of this release, giving you a couple of different stories and anecdotes as well from send dog and be real. It's also mugs about okay. their coming up during this particular time. So definitely if you're out there, if you're a Cypress Hill fan, if you're a fan of their music, go check it out. And for those vinyl collectors out there, of course know that this one is coming out. So y'all make sure y'all get that for the crate or your wall or your whatever you carry your records in. So make sure y'all definitely go check that out and look out for that coming up in the future. And that's going to wrap up another edition of the vault. Please make sure that you check us out on our host on red circle. You can also download stream and subscribe to the vault on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the link in our bio of our social media pages, you'll find our link tree there. You'll see all of our streaming sources and as well, all of our social media pages, Again, you can get to the vault on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube. You can search us by searching the Vault Classic Music Reviews, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. Let us know what you think. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your speakers loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.